Today's episode of the Theater People podcast is brought to you by the podcast These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast. You can find info and their hilarious episodes at lawandorderpodcast.com. This episode is also brought to you by Stage Door Manor. For information on their summer theater programs, check them out at stagedoormanor.com. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I have never in my life seen anything like the Broadway production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. I've seen the show twice now, and I have to tell you, I would see it ten more times. One of the most enjoyable surprises of the show is today's guest, Britton Ashford, who plays Sonia, Natasha's cousin and closest friend. What's surprising about her is her gorgeous, luscious voice that I don't have human words to explain. You just have to hear it. Her sound is so different for Broadway that it fits right in with this bizarre and perfect musical. I was over the moon to get to spend some time with her and to find out a little bit more about who she is and where she came from and how she ended up in this beautiful role. Here's our conversation. All right, I pressed record. We're actually we're 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 going. Okay, great. Hi, Britton Ashford. Hi. I spent a long time trying to figure out how to pronounce your first name. <laughs> do you get that a lot? Uh, I I do occasionally. Uh, Britain or I was like, it's it must be Britain. And and oftentimes I think people just like kind of like look at it, they glance at it, and they just go Brittany. <laughs> I, I I can't tell you how many people I've met, and I shake their hand. And I'm like, okay, Jake, nice to meet you. And they're like, Brittany, nice to meet you. And I'm just like, okay. When I was a young person, it made me crazy. I was going to say, you're so nice to just let it go. As an adult, I think I realized that there's a moment where you can correct that person. Yeah. But it's like, am I ever going to see them again? (laughs) (laughs) uh, Is it a family name? It's yeah, it's a surname um, on my dad's side, and my okay. my mom picked it out. I don't I don't know what what the appeal was or like why she did it, but mm-hmm. she just she liked it. It's so. amazing. I love it. Do I detect an accent? I don't think so. Where are you from? I'm from Seattle. You are okay. I just rewatched. This is so stupid. I just rewatched Kurt and Courtney. The, there's a documentary about Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this I have, documentary? Yeah. It's like so. Anyway, the whole thing takes place in Seattle, and maybe that's what I'm. Maybe I'm just like did, I'm picking up on it because I've been listening to people from Seattle. It's there's definitely, and I think for people of a certain age too. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like I did, I did music and theater and stuff like in high school, where I think they really reinforce like diction. And, yeah, you have and great diction. Like a, Thank you. Not everyone thinks that. And yeah. I'm always like, really? What is happening here? I, I don't know. Uh, perhaps in my, my day-to-day speaking mm-hmm. is different than my singing voice. Um, Can we talk about your singing voice? You have this incredible, very different for Broadway-sounding singing voice. How, where, where where does it come from? It's just the way I sing. Really? I, I actually had this moment. I met um, a... Uh, person of note, a celebrity that I like, I, I don't want to say who. Okay, okay, it's okay, like, okay, totally. Because I don't want to like throw it out there, but someone who like I really admired, like someone who's been around forever, uh, watching all their movies as a kid sort of person. And they saw the show and they said to me, after the show they were interested in speaking to me, I was summoned from my dressing room to meet this person. This person is that famous? Yeah, I mean... 
whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Like, people go to shows. It's fine. But, like, they specifically wanted to speak with me. So I came down, and, and they were there. And, of course, like, my brain was kind of exploding. And, wow. And, and he said, is that your actual voice? Or is that an affectation? And I was, I was just like, good. Uh, this is my voice. This is, <laughs> this is how I sing. Like, I don't actually have any training Mm -hmm. you know like i i grew up singing in like church choir and i did like in junior high i did i did choir like yeah your your public school choir and which is actually like i think about that now and all the girls in that choir didn't i I remember the thing they said they would make fun of me and say i sounded like a country singer Uh uh-huh and which i think I think about that now. It's just like a folk sound. It's more like it's interesting because you have like a like I think about my daughter, my three year old, who like loves to sing, but you know she just sounds like me, like you know, which like all kids sing that way. But your voice is so fully formed and like rich and like dense, and (laughs) but it's the kind of voice that it seems like at some point you had to realize that you were like, oh my god, like I I can really sing. I mean, I don't think I. I don't think I, I always loved singing. Yeah. And I always wanted to participate in things. I mean, I remember even being like a in elementary school and they had this concert at my school called the E of E for evening of entertainment. <laughs> and in every class, there was always like usually one person who got like the solo. And yep. sometimes there'd be more than one person. And I remember thinking like, oh, I want that solo. And like, what does that mean to uh-huh. like an eight-year-old? Uh-huh. Why? Uh, I never got the solo. <laughs> but, That's uh, so crazy. Uh, but I mean, that was sort of my my journey, you know, even like I said, through through junior high, I was sort of like a, a little bit of the outsider. And certainly through high school, I went to like a big theater high school um, at the time was considered one of the top 10 theater schools in the country, particularly wow. for musical theater. And I didn't really have any traction there. I, I never. It's so do you yeah. go back now? Like, are you a huge deal to them now? I haven't, I haven't been back. Do they even and, know what's going on? Uh, my theater high school teacher actually came to the show and it was really funny to me because I was like, Oh, I don't, I mean, yeah, this is, it's weird. I mean, yeah. it's, it's great. Like I appreciate it. He, he came with his wife and they were like, Oh, the show. And he, he also told me that, I believe it was five other students from our, our high school were currently on Broadway. Uh, from like your class or just n- in general? Not from my class, uh-huh. just like in general. And he yeah. was there for like 30 years or something. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I guess that's like yeah. <laughs> one of the older guys I think was like a, a standby for Bronx Tale. Wow. Um, there's a guy in Come From Away who was, he was maybe five classes ahead of me. Uh, wow. And then there were some other people, like I think there were someone in, cats or something yeah. you, know, like, you know they were kind of like spread all over but uh-huh. I, I could tell he was impressed but also I was like you never did anything for me right right Other right, than right like I was allowed to because and this is I, I guess like to their credit like no one else was like you need to sing this way and then you'll get the lead yeah or like you need to sing so this they way. didn't try to change your voice no yeah. <laughs> not at yeah. all but by the same time it's like I didn't get any part <laughs> and but then I I left high school going I don't want to do this. Yeah. I I thought that maybe I would go to college for musical theater. But then as I finished up high school, I was like, man, I love music. But I think I just need to go and learn things. I don't know. So what did you do? Um, I went to the University of Washington, uh-huh. which was 
you know, in, in Seattle and very, very close to my parents' home. And I, I studied English and I studied history and I moved to New York thinking that I would get my master's in education wow. and teach public high school. So I, I felt like really passionate about that. It's what you're saying is so valuable because the people who listen to this podcast, a lot of them are young people. You know, there are so many paths, you know, there are so many ways of, of like getting to Broadway or just becoming a successful actor or, or not becoming a successful actor and still being happy, you know, like, or that's critical. I think people need to realize that there isn't just like one thing that's going to make or break you or make you happy or make you unhappy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk. Great comment. All right, here I'm going to, okay. (laughs) <laughs> I am mind blown by a great comment. My, like my brain is just exploding. I do another podcast called Broadway Backstory and we're doing great comment for that. So that's like, you know, for that podcast, we find out how a show develops from an idea to a full production. We talk to everybody involved. And so I've gotten to meet Dave and Rachel and Mimi and, you know, some of your fellow castmates. And my brain is just, I'm so... I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that we are so fortunate to have such a bizarre and wonderful <laughs> show come to Broadway and, and be a commercial success. So I know that you've been with it for like a super duper long time. Since the very beginning. Very beginning, right? Yeah. And part of that stems from you had a pre-existing friendship with Dave Malloy. How did you guys meet? We, we met at a party, actually. Wow. And it was... Uh, through uh, Alec Duffy, who is married to Mimi. Um, oh, yeah. On, on a very, very fundamental level, he also runs this amazing theater company called Jack out in uh, Clinton Hill area. And it was very random. It was like one of my coworkers at a co-working space was like, hey, I'm going to this, you know, secret Brooklyn hip listening party <laughs> thing and for, for this thing that, that Alec was doing at the time. And I really wasn't expecting it to be that big of a deal and there weren't a ton of people there but Dave and of course Alec and Mimi were all there and everyone kind of went around the circle and talked about um, their relationship to music and and I was like I write music and I play auto harp and and Dave was like what auto harp I've got this auto harp that's broken it really needs to be fixed like maybe (laughs) maybe you could help me and I was like oh real smooth guy you know Uh, but we ended up becoming really good friends. He came over to my house with his broken auto harp, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is really broken. You this actually, is the like- Brooklyniest story <laughs> I have ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. I, and then, of course, you both end up being, like, mad geniuses, of course. <laughs> like, that's how the story ends. I mean, does it? I don't know. I, but I remember immediately, I, there's nothing about people that have this certain like energy to them. And Dave is just one Mm -hmm. of those people. And I can't tell you what that thing is like that. uh, Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, What is that thing? But I I mean, I've been in his presence for maybe 40 minutes and I got to tell you that like, you know, I've interviewed 300 people in this, doing this and sitting next to him in his dressing room at the Imperial, I was speechless but he's also just like hey man what's up yeah. like no big deal just like sitting on josh groban's couch just like chilling with you what's <laughs> yeah, happening yeah, yeah. you know yeah he's he's um very personable he's very affable um there's just something that i don't know maybe it's this like midwestern wholesomeness to him but you know he's very approachable but yes he's a crazy genius yeah yeah and uh i, I think i i knew when i met him at that you know there was something i i really enjoyed about him but i hadn't actually seen any of his work 
So after the auto harp incident, you know, he, <laughs> auto harp, I just can't. Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he said, "Oh, I'm I'm doing the show right now. It's a musical adaptation of Beowulf. You should come." And I was like, uh, "It's legendary now. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good." And I I honestly was expecting nothing, and like, oh, it's like a musical adaptation of Beowulf. <laughs> uh, and I was so blown away. And it wasn't. It was maybe a year later he did three pianos. The mm-hmm. timeline is a little blurry to me. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, we kept in touch. We'd hang out occasionally. He invited me to three pianos. I also was equally blown away. And, of course, under Rachel Chavkin's direction. Yeah. Uh, such a beautiful show. Um, She's just another mad genius. Yeah. 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 And so after that, I, I, it wasn't that long after that that, you know, Dave called me and he was like, Hey, uh, I got something I want to talk to you about. Like, will you meet me for a drink? And I was kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and then he he presented the idea to me. You know, he was working on a musical adaptation of War and Peace. And I mean, what what did you think when he said that? Clearly, like somebody like him, you're like, well, it's going to be amazing. But why that? I I laughed. I laughed at him. <laughs> and. And I made the joke that I'm sure a lot of people make that. I was like, ha is it really long? <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And I, I wrote this song. I, I wrote this song for you, with you in mind. Did he know, did you guys like sing together before this? Like he knew what you sounded like? He had come to see me do a couple shows. I remember there was a moment that uh, he and Rachel came to see me play at Pete's Candy Store. Uh huh. And I don't know if you've ever that, is that in Brooklyn? It's in Brooklyn. It's off the Lorimer Stop. Yeah, it's, I've it's, heard of it. It's the. Uh, it's still one of my favorite places to go see something. Like mm-hmm. whenever I have someone in from out of town. Yeah. And you don't really know what to do. Like you're like, oh, but it's New York. There's so much happening. The shows there are always free. Oh wow! And, like, and it's just the—it's the sweetest little room. It's a little back room. It looks like you're in a railroad car, and it has this sort of like old timey light up proscenium. I'm sure there's a name for that, but it's so <laughs> cute. And if you're as a musician, if you get like 20 people to show up to your show, you feel like a rock star. Oh, that is so cool! And, and if 40 people show up, like God help you, like you know, <laughs> you're not going to you're... get out of there alive, torn yeah. limb from limb. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember Rachel and Dave came to see me there and I I probably didn't know it at the time but you know they were like what about yeah what about this does this work does this work in this show and yeah that's kind of how it started and you know when he initially presented the idea to me I was like I don't I don't think I'm the person you want did he talk to you about Sonia yeah and he was like I've written the song I've written the song for you Sonia alone yeah it's, and- I mean I realized Sometimes I have an out-of-body experience when I realize I'm actually talking to the person who who I saw do that. Like, it's a real weird thing that I'm like, you know, it's such a moment. And we'll get to Broadway. But, like, it's such a moment in the Broadway production, which is, unfortunately, the only incarnation I've seen. But it's just mind-blowing to me that I'm like about to talk to you about this song. And it was one of the first songs that he wrote for the show, right? And what did you think the first time you heard it? I thought it was beautiful. I, I really did. Did you know and, what was happening in the story? Uh, not entirely. I mean, I, I sort of became familiar with what was happening in the chunk of the story that we were covering. Um, but I hadn't read the book as a whole. So, you know, I, I, I don't think... I definitely did not know if, if, if it's a grand question of like, did I know <laughs> when I heard it? <laughs> and I, I still... It, it Honestly, it took me a long or not like a long time, but like it took me a while to really understand how important um, or how good 
the show was. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you're inside of something, yeah. it's like when you're a kid and you think like everything you have is like like crappy because like your friend has the better thing like they have the better snacks yep. and they have like yeah their own room and like whatever it is and you're like oh my my house is crappy and then like you're like oh and you grow up and you're like oh actually yeah, my parents kept it pretty clean it was fine you know uh, it's like while you're in it you, yeah you don't really understand what it is so and were you to that end were you trying to tell him that you didn't think you were the right person for it because you just didn't know how good it was and oh no not at all not at all um i just had never done theater and that was another question i was going to ask you it was like were, at that point in your life and career were your wants to focus more on music and so this theater thing was potentially a distraction from that i mean i didn't see it as a distraction because when it was presented to me initially Dave was like well we're just doing a workshop just do the workshop it's two weeks and this is Ars Nova yeah it was at the workshop was at Ars Nova so it was like there was one workshop and it was two weeks there was another workshop and that was two weeks and even when they were like hey we're gonna do the show we'd love you to do it I was still a little like "Mm," but it was like it's only seven weeks Mm -hmm. that's it you know so I, I didn't really see that as a distraction at the time what was holding you back what, what was that thing that was like mm, I don't know if I want to do this I just had never done theater I just was convinced that they couldn't possibly want someone who wasn't an actor to do it mm-hmm. it didn't make any it didn't make sense to me yeah. um, and of course now like I think about the production as a whole it makes perfect sense um, but at the time I was just like I don't have any experience doing this like how do I act you know it was like one of the <laughs> totally. jokes I said to Rachel I was like how do I act what did she I? say she was like you're doing it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I mean, know. that is so amazing. I will stand in the dark for you. I will hold you back by force. I will stand here right outside your door. I won't see you disgraced. And now a few words from our sponsors. It's finally officially summer. And the best part of summer is camp. But for real theater geeks, there's only one camp to go to where surprise visits from Broadway stars, Hamilton sing-alongs, and dance-offs are as normal as bunk beds and sunscreen. And that's Stage Door Manor. You guys have heard me talking about Stage Door for the past few months, but it's time for Curtains Up on another summer of unbelievable performances. The inspiration for Todd Graff's movie Camp and Mickey Rapkin's book Theater Geek, Stage Door is the performing arts training center for kids ages 10 to 18 in upstate New York that puts on an unbelievable 14 shows during each of its three-week sessions. I can't wait to tell you some of the shows they're putting on for this summer. Past Stage Door premieres include original stage versions of Rent, Avenue Q, Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party, and Woman in White. 
In addition to those shows, there are more than a hundred classes at beginning and advanced levels. Everything from playwriting to stage combat. There are no auditions for admissions. They accept all levels of experience and talent and find roles for students in shows where everyone can have his or her moment in the spotlight. To find out more about Stage Door, go to stagedoormanor.com. You guys, today's episode is also being sponsored by the podcast, These Are Their Stories, The Law and Order Podcast. It's produced and hosted by Kevin Flynn and my favorite podcaster of all time, Rebecca Lavoie, who are half of the team behind the great podcast, Crime Writers On. These Are Their Stories is hilarious. Kevin and Rebecca and a special guest watch an episode, usually of SVU, but sometimes another one of the franchise, and then using clips from the show, they chat about it. The conversation is always hilarious and sometimes insightful. You don't have to have seen the episodes or even care about Law and Order to love this podcast. You know how I know? Because I was once a special guest on the podcast, and the only Law and Order episode I'd ever seen was the one I watched for that episode. Well, that and the bonkers one with Kathy Griffin and Sutton Foster, but that's another story for another time. Their special guest this week is my true crime-obsessed co-host, Jillian Pensavalli, and it's out-of-control funny. So go subscribe to These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, now back to the show. You know, the the Ars Nova piece of the journey for Great Comet is so interesting to me because... I wish I could have seen it there, but I, you know, you see it at the Imperial now, and it's just like the grandest thing in the world. And I imagine that, like, this is like the, the Ars Nova production was like the basement version. Yes, I, I, I like to think that there, there are many ways in which the show has not fundamentally changed, and of course, there's some ways that it's, it's a different show altogether. I mean, you could argue it is, it's a completely different show. Yeah. You know, like we didn't have an ensemble. We, right. there wasn't a dance break, you know, but the thing that I think the show maintained pretty well was the sense of intimacy. So I think the big difference, if you had seen it at Ars Nova is to know that like you were probably never more than 30 feet from any moment in the show. So you're never more than 30 feet from Sonia mm-hmm. when she's singing that song. You mean as, a, like, as, a, as an audience member? As an audience member, yeah. 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 Like when, and when Anatole says Petersburg, you're never yeah. more than 30 feet from it. And, wow. you're, and you're probably closer than that. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Room, that room just isn't that big, you know? And you guys so, were sort of – the audience was all around you. Yes. Like, yeah. In the way that they, that they are now. Yeah, only like compact. Like, yeah, There yeah. was definitely a moment where – uh, there, how it was, it was almost like a, a fishbowl. Like there was this um, sort of catwalk that went all the way around the room. And then there were sort of uh, these red banquettes, more like booths, almost like diner booths, like little bowls of seating. Mm-hmm. And But you could walk around the entire uh, uh, perimeter of the room. And at the end of the show, me singing Great Comet, was this booth that they always put all the fancy people. Like, so at some point I remember being like, Stephen Sondheim's head is Ugh. two feet away from me. Mandy Patinkin's head is two feet away from me. Uh, so wow, th- that experience terrifying. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I imagine kind of like what, mu- what must it have felt like for the audience to be that close at any given time? Yeah. And, and again, I think that there's many ways in which that is preserved in the show. Like, yeah. Even if you're up in the mezzanine, there's still people running around you. And I think that that's 
so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I I, I can't wrap my brain around Mimi's design for the Imperial. It just it makes me. I can't. I can't. It's just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it took me a while. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Stairs going. Wait, how do I get? I know. How do I, what? What? Okay. Okay. And one of the things that Mimi told me too is that like it's all like you can just like. Pull the stairs right up and take him out. Like I thought they had blown up the the theater and they like come, and they were like, nope, all of that stuff is removable. Yeah, like they're they like Mimi said, she's like, we could have Lamez back up and running in like four hours. <laughs> I mean, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. There is definitely a moment. So there's two stairwells that go up to the mezzanine from the stage. Uh, there are box seats, and one of them is our um, the guy playing like glockenspiels and keyboards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other one, I think, is our drummer. And when we first got in there, like, if you walked underneath it, there was this weird, underneath the box, that, like, you would basically hit your head. Uh-huh. So they, like, shaved away part of that box. So when she's like, oh, yeah, we could just pop this out and have Les Mis back and running in four <laughs> hours. Like, yes. But also, I'm sure that, you know, whenever that stuff is pulled out of there, there'll be some... Redesign. Some, or, like, just some, what's the word, like... Cosmetic, like cosmetic surgery. Yes, yeah. I got nothing major. I mean, I know they like they ripped up a lot of the carpet, which probably you know it's an old theater. Probably, yeah, exactly. Anyway, you know, Uh, and I know that they like painted a lot of stuff. Like, I feel like the lobby. Oh, I remember. I remember watching that. It's something that you probably don't even think about when you come in, but there's sort of like this weird bunker area, and they like painted it black. Yeah. So probably someone will want to go back and paint it like this gilded gold, you know, like whatever it was before. It is amazing to see something so immersive, though, you know, on Broadway. Like, because it does make you feel like not like the lay person. It does probably think that you guys have like ripped everything out and just rebuilt the theater, which is the idea to an audience member that that would be allowed that you that you guys could that that would even be done is so innovative. Yeah. Um. One of the things I love to ask the actors about is casino and sort of the challenges of of that space. And, you know, everyone has been, literally every person I've asked about this has cried. So if you don't cry, you're not doing your job. Um, But I... This first of all, to find out that the show was going on, you know, that it was going to have a life beyond Ars Nova, and not only that, but that they couldn't find the right space to do it, so they built one. That must have been incredible. Uh, I remember at the time I was like, "That's crazy." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, I don't really understand this world at all." Yeah, but like, that seems crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I think we were all super surprised when everyone's like, "Yeah, tent," and I I think everyone was like, "How does that work?" And of course, it the truth is, uh, in many ways, magnificently. Yeah. Like, from an, an audience perspective, as a theater goer. I can't imagine approaching what ultimately looks like, I don't know, like you're going to go get a funnel cake in there. Right. <laughs> or and it's almost then, like a wedding reception. Yeah. And, and <laughs> truly, it looked like just a, a, a very small slice of what the theater is now. Yeah. I mean, it was it was gorgeous. And that was what I was going to ask. When you saw the whole thing actualized and it was the, you know, the, the part of the legend of the show is that like the um, – Part of the inspiration came for it from Dave had a night out at a bar. I think it's called like Mar- Le Margarita. Uh, Cafe somewhere. Margarita. Cafe yeah. Margarita in Moscow. And, you know, I was asking him about like, did when you saw the tent, like, was it, was that, was that the bar? And he's like, well, it was like a way fancier version yeah. of the bar. But like, what did you think when you walked in there? Like, it was meant to be a Russian supper club. And, and did it feel that way? 
He did. Yeah. It, it really did. And and same with Ars Nova. I remember being so shocked when, because I had seen many things at Ars Nova. Yeah. It's, it's a small black box theater. Yeah. And, you know, we heard all the construction going on. We we knew, in theory, what it was supposed to look like. But the first time that we really got in there, we were like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, like, Mimi's a genius. <laughs> what a what a transformation, and it and it felt similar going into the tent, where it was just like, whoa, like we're really, we're really, we we this really is happening. This yeah, is, this is here. You know, <laughs> one of the um, things I learned too was that like the during intermission was when they would do like the full dinner service, mm-hmm. which made your intermissions really long, which made your shows really long. Is that right? I think that dinner was served. I thought dinner was served before the show, though my my memory is yeah. perhaps a little foggy. I just think that like what I've heard is that like it was really a challenging environment to perform in. It is was. that right? I, I would I would say so. Uh, definitely, downtown uh, had different challenges than when we moved up to to midtown. Yeah. Um, I think to a certain extent there were people that came that just like didn't understand quite what they were seeing because it was kind of like somewhere between like an experience and an actual show is what people thought yeah i think and i i think maybe people thought that they were getting into something a little more like cabaret-y a little Mm -hmm. more like the box downtown yes yeah yeah i think there were definitely some patrons who you could tell were very uh what's the diplomatic word um just i just weren't quite sure what they were getting into yeah uh, I, I remember, I can't remember which, this is when we had, the ensemble had been a- added, and one of the girls was like, some guy just asked me, like, when we were going to, like, take off our clothes. And, and oh we were God. like, what? <laughs> wow. And you know, like, I'm wearing this, like, white wool coat. And I'm <laughs> right. like, oh, where does he think he is? <laughs> like, And then, so the next stop for you guys after casino and then the theater district was um art in boston yeah and first of all like i used to live two blocks from that theater i used to see so much stuff there i love the art and especially under diane paulus like it's you know such a hub for shows that are you know coming to boston i mean to new york did did you guys start to think that like broadway was on the horizon when you went to art I, i i i believe that that was the goal um going into it to see if it could be done in a proscenium space. Yeah, yeah. And I I felt hopeful, personally, and I know that um, certainly our producers felt hopeful, and I think that Rachel and Dave and Mimi all felt hopeful. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm such a pragmatic person that I, I didn't want to sort of like... Put the cart before the horse. Yeah, you know, I was like, <laughs> we're going to do this thing. I think it's going to be great. Um, it was... I think a slightly different experience for me, perhaps than other people, just because of like personal things. Uh huh. Um, my father passed right before going to do the show at ART, and I feel like that colored my experience. And yeah. I was like, I don't know what happens next, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Um, did you enjoy being in Boston? I did. I, I, I. In retrospect, I wish I had enjoyed myself more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and of no fault. Of Boston, yeah. You know. of course. <laughs> you know, I'm from like, Boston. I can be like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, no, no, like, uh, and of course, staying in Cambridge, it was it was lovely. Yeah, and everyone knew that came into the show was really lovely, and uh, it was in in that sense, of course, seemed like a, a lovely place to be. Yeah, 
just in my in my head. Yeah, I was just, a whole like different experience. I was just like, ah, <laughs> ah it's Christmas. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. When did you guys get the announcement that Broadway was going to happen? I don't actually know. Do you remember it I... happening? Like, do you remember the moment of it happening? I'm trying to remember now. I don't know. <laughs> I, it might have been one of those things that, like, it had been talked about for so long that by the time it actually happened, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I know that sounds really, like, blasé of me. I don't think so. I mean, you've been with the show for years at this point, you know? I I always believed in the show. Yeah. Which is, like, why I continued to do it. And so the fact that it finally was getting to this point... I think, like, I was kind of like, okay, well, let me know when we have a theater. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and then they were like, hey, rehearsals are going to start on this date. I had, I had been touring with Dave and uh, Gelsie Bell, who plays Princess Mary, and uh, Brent Arnold, who actually, he was a cellist at Ars Nova uh, for, for Great Comet, uh, doing another show called Ghost Quartet. So I feel like I always had, like, a little bit of inside information. Uh-huh. And so, like, we were probably in Dallas or something and Dave was like I think it's actually happening and I was like yeah whatever like <laughs> like wow when when we get the theater and then it was like oh rehearsals are actually starting and I mean I remember like getting an email that was like rehearsals are actually starting and I was excited but I like I don't remember where I was or what I was I doing, just need but. to tell like directors and producers that like that does interviewers no good directors and producers we need a sexier <laughs> story than an email I I'll say this though when uh, I first went into the theater when it was it wasn't quite done. Uh-huh. Um, but I walked onto the stage. I walked onto that front sort of like donut yep. area, and I just I I cried. Yeah, it was a very it was a deeply emotional moment. Yeah, and of course, like our producers were there, and like Josh Groban was there, and I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm do you call him Josh or Josh Groban? Uh. Well, in this context, I would just say Josh Groban. <laughs> yeah, of course, because... we don't. But are you guys like friends now, or is he just like a famous person? Uh, no, he's f- we're, we're friends. Yeah. I'd like I'd like to think we're friends. <laughs> you know, like uh, at this point, we invite Josh in to tell him. What you <laughs> yeah, <do>. like <laughs> uh, no, he's he's actually he's been really great. Yeah, he's um, so great, so great in the show. He's he's wonderful, and he's also very he's very humble. Yeah, and he's very diplomatic. It's funny. And, I had a moment with him at BroadwayCon. I am involved with BroadwayCon, mm-hmm. and so I did a lot of stuff with them. And I, I, I literally, just at one moment, I was backstage right before your panel, and I just found myself standing right next to him, and nobody else was there. And I had just seen the show, and I was like, "You never know what it's like to talk <laughs> to like a mega famous person, you know." But I was like, "You know what? This is, we're on Broadway turf. I get to tell him how great he is." And I turned to him and I was like, "Hey, I just wanted to tell you, like, you're making the most stunning Broadway debut. I am blown away by you." And he's like, "Oh, thanks, man. But no, there's like 17 people making their Broadway. De- like, all he wanted to do was talk about everybody else. Yeah. You know? He's yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, and, and it's real. Yeah, it's definitely. It real. seems like it. When I first met him, he he saw the show at the tent uh, downtown. Uh huh. And I, I think Orr, our our uh, conductor. It was like, hey, there's this uh, musician guy out there. Um, 
uh, Josh Gerben. I'm sure he said Josh Gerben. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he was like, Josh Gerben's out there and he wants to meet people on the show. So you should go out there and talk to him. He's really nice. And I was like, who? Oh, the guy in the hat? Yeah, he was cute. Like, I'll go talk to him. <laughs> and so I got there and I'm like talking to him. And he was like, oh, I love the show. I love the show. Your songs are great. Uh, like being really nice. And I was like, cool. Like, oh, what do you do? Uh, I like, love that. That's like, so great. Like, oh, you're a musician? Me too. Oh, you just got back from tour? Where'd you go? <laughs> like, how was it? I, and I mean, God love him. He, he, He's like, you've heard of he, Yankee. Yankee Stadium, right? He like, I mean, he didn't let on at all. He said nothing. He was like, oh yeah, you know, we went to Chicago and Boston. Wow. He wasn't like, mm, like me and my my <laughs> bus <laughs> with my face on the side of it. <laughs> I, yeah, he didn't he, he didn't let on at all. And of course, like I think I went home and I was like, Google. Josh Gard. I was like, oh, 25 million records. <laughs> That's basically the same as me touring in my station. Yeah, wagon. I think it is. Thing. Absolutely. How is how are you enjoying being on Broadway? Uh, it's it's good. It's still like a little surreal. Honestly. Is it? Um, I I really love meeting people who are so like deeply affected by the show. Yeah, people are just crazy for this show. Yeah, it's it's really special. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I hear a lot um, from young women is like how like hearing my voice they're like oh i love musical theater and i want to do musical theater but i've never heard a voice like yours totally. on broadway yeah and i i like being able to respond to that and being like yeah if you love it go do it yeah go get totally. it totally it's there like things are changing and i i think that that's really special yeah and that's great i mean otherwise i hate i hate to say this like i it's a it's a job. Yeah, it's yeah. a job, and it's it's really hard sometimes. Yeah. and like even now, like I got really sick maybe two two and a half weeks ago, and like I still hear it in my voice. I, my voice is normally deeper and a little <laughs> a little gravelier, uh-huh. but like this is like extra. <laughs> you know, like there's certain parts of my voice that I still just like don't yeah. have. Yeah. And how do you, what do you do when that happens? Do you call out or do you try to get through it? I mean, what I did foolishly, whenever that was like two and a half weeks ago, was like, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Like I got this. And I did our Sunday matinee and I, I just barely squeaked through the show. Yeah. And for s- some people who had never seen me perform, I think they were just like, hmm, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, I was mortified personally. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it was one of my finer moments. Yeah. Uh, but like, what do you do? It's like you, you, if you think you can do it, you do it. Like I, I definitely, I think when the weekend had started, like Friday, I was like, mm, my, my throat feels kind of like crappy, but yeah, but my voice sounds fine. Yeah. Feels yeah. crappy. Sounds fine. But I was like, mm, I'm going to drink all this tea or whatever. <laughs> like whatever is the thing you convince yourself is going to like miraculously save you. <laughs> totally. uh, and you go home and you do that. And I did that. And then like, the next day, I was like a little. It was like a little worse. Like Saturday was a little worse, and then Sunday, I was like, oh. But I, I genuinely believed. I was like, I can do this. So in that sense, it kind of sucks because like if you are a person that works a job that like you go sit behind a desk, who cares if you have a sore throat? Right. Like, yeah, you can get through it. Right. You can get through it. And you'll be yeah. fine, even yeah. if you're like waiting tables. Yeah. I remember like waiting tables and being sick, and I was like, oh, my life sucks. Um. What What do you think? Will you stay? Like, do you want to? do more Broadway or do you want to go back to your music or what do you want to do? You know, um, I, I, d- I definitely want to get back to my own music for sure. But I, that doesn't, for me, the two aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. Like I feel like I can still do both. Like I've been releasing 
songs like maybe like a month ago i released a couple singles i was gonna ask you like Um, is this a platform for you to like get people to see your music in a way that you didn't have a platform before i mean yes and no it's definitely like i i released a couple songs under my own name which Mm -hmm. is something i haven't done in like almost 10 years yeah um i started playing under a band moniker because it it felt easier to me uh, especially touring like if I'm like, hey, I'm a lady and I play auto harp and yeah. people are like, next. No, thank you. <laughs> um, but I found that I was able to write a venue and be like, my band is called Prairie Empire and yeah. we have a drummer. It doesn't even matter if it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, But it's like they hear singer songwriter and you are like destined and doomed to coffee shops versus uh-huh. like you're in a band and like maybe they'll let you open for some other local band. Yeah. And, you know, Uh but it seemed like there was more possibility behind having this band name. And so that's kind of what I've been doing for maybe the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. And my band put out an album in July. It was, I, I think it's like the best thing I've done to date. Uh, I was really, really proud of it. I spent a long time making it in part because I was also doing Comet off and on. So yep. I couldn't just like sit down and just blast through it. Yeah. And then when it came out, it was like I hired someone to do like college radio promotion um, but I didn't end up hiring like other PR stuff. And Lucas Steele said to me the other day, he was like, you need a publicist. He was like, <laughs> if a, if a tree falls in the forest <laughs> and there isn't a publicist there, no one's going to know. <laughs> that guy is like the hottest, weirdest, hottest, <laughs> most talented, hottest. hottest. <laughs> like, Tell me, your band is called Prairie Empire. Yes. And where can people find your music? Like iTunes and the whole thing. Yeah, iTunes, Amazon, Bandcamp. I think it's like, I think it's on, it's on Spotify now. Yeah. Uh, our website is prairieempire.org. Yes. Prairieempire.com. I know. Taken. Yeah. I... <laughs> Always. Some dot blog. taxi. Yeah, yeah. Some blog that doesn't like do anything anymore. Oh, anymore. that's worse. But, like... but you can have the domain for $2,000. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what's going to happen with you? Like what you're, you, you're open-ended with Comet. Yeah. And I don't know. I, and people have asked me, you know, like, would I do other shows? Ye- yes. I think it would have to be something special. Yeah. And someone did contact me recently. I, I won't, <laughs> won't say the name of the show, but it was like, Hey, would you be interested in doing show in city and i was like no why would i leave my property i mean it wasn't like it was like something that was like happening in the fall and Uh i was like thank you like i'm under contract until yeah you know october (laughs) but like i don't think i'm really right for this you're not gonna go do like mama mia in like toledo well that's like and (laughs) that wasn't it but that was like that was it you know and i was like who did you see the show like I think you'd be like a great Sophie with that voice in Mamma Mia. That would be perfect. Yeah, it'd be like me playing like Sandy and Greasy or something. <laughs> yeah, like yes, yes. It's yes. not it's not impossible, but just, right. just why? <laughs> like uh, Oh, Britton Ashford, I love you. Will you come back and see us again? Absolutely. Thanks for Are, being on our podcast. Are we done? Is this it? I oh. guess. What else, what else should we talk about? I don't know. I guess I guess that's it. I love you. I want you you to come back and do this again. Happily. Bye, Britain Ashford. Bye. Theater People is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. It is a product of Theater Podcast Productions. To see all of the podcasts we make, including our newest podcast, True Crime Obsessed, check out our brand new website, theaterpodcastproductions.com. Special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Roselle, Ty Williams, and Cynthia Wallach, and to our Patreon supporters, 
Marie Lennart, Carol Spellman, Matthew Wood, and Doug Plout. Special thanks also to Steve Tipton, Eric Emch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back next week with Derek Kalina, star of Anastasia, Wicked, and Dogfight. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking.